Well, good morning, Northgate. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I'm D.L. Walter. I'm the next generation pastor here at Northgate. Um, my family and I came to Northgate this past summer in August, and since then, we have found a community that is so kind and loving. So thank you, um, every one of you, for making us feel welcome. Uh, we truly feel like we belong here. I had a great time um, getting to know many of your teens this past fall, um, and I'm really excited about where God is going to lead the student and young adult ministry here at Northgate. So thank you again just for uh, having us feel welcomed in this community. You know, last week as I was sitting in church and watching the introduction video um, that went up, then a bunch of Mr. Rogers clips uh, came up in that video, and I felt nostalgia. And I'm not even going to lie, when I was a little kid, I didn't really like watching Mr. Rogers. Um, I, I needed like something like Transformers that moved a little bit quicker. Um, but the older I got, the more I appreciated what Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was doing, not just in my life, but in the life of our society. The show ran for close to 40 years. Um, and then after that, there was a spinoff, Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, which continued to leave an impact on children about how to be a good neighbor. And that's something that um, seems to be really important in our culture. It seems like no matter who you are, what background you come from, um, one thing that we can agree, agree on from a society standpoint is that we should be good neighbors to people. It's almost a universal thing that people think being a really good neighbor is important. But we want to look at exactly what that means from a Christian perspective here at Northgate. And last week, Pastor John kicked off our series by looking at one of Jesus's most well-known parables about loving your neighbor. Um, and it's not just about loving the person who physically lives next door to you, but he shared from the parable of the Good Samaritan that it's about loving whoever God has placed in your life that has a need. That's who your neighbor is. Today, I want to continue to look at what it means to be a good neighbor, but not just by loving individuals that God places in our life, but how to love the community that God has placed us in. Loving your community requires us to be intentional about how we engage our communities. That's actually our main point today, that loving our community requires us to be intentional about how we engage the communities that we are a part of. I've been thinking a lot about what it means to love your community. And what's really helped me in this process is to have a good definition of what community is. So this week I looked up um, just on my little dictionary on my computer, a simple de definition of what community is. Community is a group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. So with that definition in mind, I started to define the community that I was a part of, and I'm going to encourage you to do the same. Uh, I'm going to kind of lay out my community um, and communities that I'm a part of, and I want you to, to think along the same lines, to start thinking about what communities that you are a part of. I started with the group of people that live around me. Our family has lived in the greater Rochester area for 15 years. We lived in East Rochester particularly for 13 years. And this is the community that when I go and I walk my dog in the morning, the people that I see and I wave to, the people that I run into at Wegmans all around town. Um, but to be honest, I can't, like, I wave to a lot of people when I'm walking around with my dog and stop and have, like, brief conversations with a bunch of them. I. I 
grocery store over and over again. But um, that's a really broad thing. I can't get to know every single person in that community. Um, but I think that as we kind of look at our community, it narrows down a little bit further based on the stages of life that we're in and some of the interests that we have. So for me, when I think about my community in East Rochester, I think about my kids and their school and the activities that that all revolves around because it takes up a majority of our time. Um, and we start seeing the same people and get to know the same names and faces in those communities that our children are a part of. And so I think that's one community that I'm a part of. And we all have a similar sort of story about the community that we live in. The next part of the definition of community is a group of people that have a particular characteristic in common. So for many of us, that would be the people that we work with or the very place we're in today. The church, the church that we worship at. And today, I want you to have all those communities in mind as we speak and as we share what it looks like to love your community. It's my hope that you will be thinking about these communities and what how they can you can help transform those thing, those communities as we look out God's word on how to better love our community. The first thing I want us to think about when we think about community is that we are not placed in our communities by accident. So for many of us, we live in a community that's just great. You know, we, we love exactly where we live. We love the job that we have. We love all the little um, places that we, that we work and that we worship and that um, our neighbors and everything like that. But for others, the community that we're in can be less than ideal. Some of you might not have ever planned to live in the particular spot where you live or for your kids to go to school where they go to school, or maybe you're stuck in that same job for the last however many years and you feel trapped. But guess what? God is not surprised by any of that. That's not to say in the near future he won't open up a door for you to move to a different town or to take your dream job, or maybe your, your children get a different set of friend groups when they go from playing soccer to hockey and your community in that area changes overnight. Our communities change from time to time, but God is not surprised by the community that you're currently in. And if they are less than ideal, I believe that God wants us to thrive in those communities. And I want us to look out what happened with the Israelites when they get carried off into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon for 70 years. He tells them in Jeremiah 29, he says this, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city in which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if you prosper, because if it proper, prospers, you too will prosper. So the Israelites, they find themselves in a less than ideal community. They aren't home in Israel anymore where they were comfortable. But for a season of 70 years that they're in exile, God wants them to make a change in that community. He wants them to be part of that community that, that he has sent them to. Not only that, but he wants them to grow in number. He wants them to thrive. He wants them to plant gardens. He wants them to seek peace and prosperity. 
because he says that if your new community prospers, you too will prosper. And I actually believe that's the same for us today. If you're, if you're thinking today, you know, my workplace is tough. The community that I live in is tough. The, the areas that I'm involved with can, can be dark sometimes. I believe that God wants you to make a change in that community. So if you're in a less than ideal community, maybe you've been in your starter home for way longer than you planned, or maybe you had to push out retirement because of the economy being bad. Whatever the case is, instead of just longing for a way out, I encourage you to make the most of the time that you're there. That doesn't mean that you can't pray and continue to look for what God might have next on the horizon. But as you do, don't check out from where God has placed you currently. Change that community. Take for what God told the Israelites in Jeremiah 29 seriously. Pray for that community. Because if you help transform that community, it can start to prosper. And that's going to have a greater impact on your life as well. And one of the organizations that we're helping out in the Great Day of Giving is Five Loaves Farms. I happen to know the uh, person, his name's Matt. He was on our Need to Know video a couple weeks ago who founded the organization. And he had this vision for this ministry of inner city farming. And he made the intentional decision to go from a community in suburban Syracuse to an inner city community in Buffalo. He moved his whole family there and they engaged in the community. They prayed for the community. They helped the community grow, providing food and internships for teenagers. And the reason I reference that is because it reminds me so much of Jeremiah 29. I mean, that's exactly what they did. They planted gardens in an unfamiliar land and saw them grow and prosper. And now every time I go out to Buffalo to visit my friend Matt and I go to his house in, in the inner city, um, it's amazing. We'll sit out on the porch and people will just wave and say hi to him. And this community that was hostile towards outsiders at first, now they feel at home with that. And there's a little pocket, it's really only a few square blocks around where they have their ministry, that that community is changing. And it's completely different from the community that's just around the corner from it. So take advantage where, where God has you in this current season of life. When I look at what Five Los Farm is doing, I think they are transforming their community by being salt and light in that community. Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, 13 through 16, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be trampled, um, thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And that's exactly what they're doing, is they're being salt and light in their community so that God might be glorified. In the communities that we're a part of, we're called to be salt and light. We're called to enhance the community that God has put us in. We're called to be light and share the good news of the gospel of Jesus to those communities so that God can be glorified. Now, I gave this example of Five Loaves Farm, but not everyone is called to do 
what the people there did, where they uprooted their family from one city to another, moved intentionally into an urban area to be part of a community that was rough, in which darkness ruled. But we're called to be salt and light wherever God has planted us for that season in life. I remember almost 20 years ago when I started out in ministry, I was bivocational. I worked 20 hours a week out of church as a junior high youth pastor and 20 hours a week at the um, Starbucks in town. Talk about the perfect combination there, right? I'd get tired with hanging out with junior hires all, all day, and then I would go and get free coffee from Starbucks and work with people there. It worked out pretty well. But when I started the youth pastor job, it was about a month before I started working at Starbucks. So when I went to fill out my application at Starbucks, my boss could see that I worked for a church. But this wasn't something that I was just going to go advertise when I started, because I wanted to get to know people a little bit better, interact with them. Um, I never wanted to hide my faith, but um, I just wanted people to get to know me as a person a little bit before I shared with them that my other job was a pastor. But that all changed when I, the manager hired me on the spot, and she took me right into the back of, of the Starbucks. She gathered all the people around and said, uh, this is DL. He's our new barista. Don't cuss or swear around him. He's a pastor, so be on your best behavior always. All right, that's fine. So the cat was out of the bag. Now, typically, I worked the open shift at the Starbucks that I, that I worked at. And we opened up at 4.30 in the morning, which means I had to be there at 4. And oftentimes, um, I would have to work Saturday morning. We had youth group on Friday night. So I'd be up really late with junior hires, and then I had to get in at 4 in the morning. Um, and before you knew it, at 4 in the morning, all my coworkers were asking me their questions about God. And I had to have them slow down for a second. I said, first, first things first, let's brew a cup of coffee, right? Because we're out, we're out of Starbucks. Let's brew a cup of coffee. Let's wait for just it to brew. I'll think about your question, and then I'll give you an answer. But I was so surprised as I was setting up coffee for the first half hour where we didn't have any good customers. So we were setting up coffee and pastries. I was so surprised by people's openness to just share their questions about God. So I decided that that is going to be the community where God called us to invest in, to be salt and light there. I was never preachy about my faith, but I would have good conversations, asking a bunch of questions, getting to know people better. Tiffany and I would open up our home to the people we worked with, and we made some really great friends during that season. And after about two years, we just assumed that that chapter was coming to a close. The church I worked for made me full-time. Sophia was born, so we decided that we didn't need to have a job at Starbucks anymore. We'd still go in a couple times a week to get a cup of coffee to maintain some relationships, um, but we had thought that that chapter of life was slowly coming to a close until one night around 10.30 at night, I hear a knock on our door. It's one of our former co-workers, uh, Rob. He drives to the house unannounced He's knocking at my door. He's clearly in distress. He had just broken up with his fiance. To be honest, he was in a mental health crisis about the whole situation. I was concerned about his safety from how he was talking. I was unsure if he was going to harm himself or others. So I just had him talk. We talked into the wee hours of the morning, and I was surprised that at the end of our conversation, he asked me about my relationship with Jesus. 
he started going to our Bible study, which coincidentally was 6 a.m. the next day. So he stayed till about 1 or 2 in the morning and then was there at 6 in the morning. I hardly made it out of bed that day. Um, but he started going to our Bible study. He started going to the church. And eventually he gave his life to Jesus. Now he moved away and we've lost touch over time because he's not really much on social media. But I share that story because I think when we love our community, it can often open up doors for us to share the gospel in very authentic ways with people. You know, we're always looking for opportunities to share the love of Jesus, but so, much t so many times that comes when we're really invested in a community. And then God opens up doors for us to have those natural, authentic conversations. The next way that I think that we can show love to our community is for us to look at an example of the early church. Many of the principles that can, we're going to be talking about can be applied to any community. But I think when we look at Acts chapter 2, it shows a really nice example of how the church can act as a community of Jesus' followers. Right before Jesus leaves the world in Acts 1.8, he tells his followers that they're called to be witnesses to all nations. And the apostles, they're doing that with the help of the Holy Spirit. They build a community of believers, and we see in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, exactly what happens. We're told that the new group of Christ followers were told this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had something in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. As we look at this passage, as we look at this account, I think there's some great things that we can learn from what a healthy church looks like. Being devoted to the teaching of God's word, having Christian fellowship, breaking bread together, and prayer. These are great things for building a healthy, loving church environment and community. Something that I can say that I've experienced firsthand here at Northgate. In fact, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to join the team here at Northgate. In my interview process, Pastor John made a reference, just kind of in passing, referring to the staff lunch that they have every Tuesday. And that told me everything I needed to know about the culture in the church. If there's a staff that's willing to slow down, spend time with each other, eat together, that communicated to me that there was a loving and healthy culture. And I can, and I can see that um, culture that we have in the staff continue out to the whole congregation. So that's a really important thing for a Christian community to do. So if we look at the rest of this passage, I think we see a culture that is one that we should strive for in any community, not just a church community, but any community that we are a part of that will help us better love our community. When I look out particularly verses 45 and 46, I see people who are taking care of people in the community. We see that they're breaking bread and we're told that everyone 
had glad and sincere hearts. When I look at this passage, I see a community that makes sure that people belong. People feel loved. They feel like their needs are being taken care of. They feel safe. When someone feels taken care of in a community, they have a great sense of belonging in that community. Belonging is so, so important in our society right now. This past year, I read a book called The Three Big Questions That Change Every Teenager. And those three questions revolved around three topics, image, purpose, and belonging. The book stated that every teenager asks themselves the question, do I fit in here? That's not just a question that every teenager asks. That's a question that every person asks. I'm sure you have been a part of a community where you look around and you see all these people and you think, do I fit in here? Is this where I belong? We've all had that, and it's magnified in our teenage years, but we've all been part of a community where we truly wonder, do I fit into that community? The, bo the book goes on to say, belonging is one of the great spiritual hungers of our day. We are a society marked by loneliness and disconnection. Did you hear that? According to their study, the culture that we live in is marked by loneliness and disconnection. You know, we go through life and we see a lot of people each and every day. See a lot of faces in the store. We see a lot of coworkers. We see a lot of people here at church. But the truth is, just because you see a lot of people doesn't mean you feel connected. Doesn't feel like, doesn't mean that you don't feel lonely. Doesn't mean that you don't feel like you don't belong. And that is something that's running rampant in our society right now. So specifically with our young people, but they're just kind of a marker of how the whole the society as a whole feels. We're a society marked by loneliness and disconnection. And when I look out what's going on in the early church as an example, I think that that's something that we as a church can, should continue to do, is invest in our community, put a priority on making sure people feel like they belong here, that they feel a real connection to others. And I know that, that we do a really good job at that anyway. I just want to encourage us to continue to do that as a church because it's something that our society needs so much now. And when I think of this, I look at the Acts um, 2 passage, we can see what's happening in the early church. Yes, it's clear that people are coming to Jesus, and that's what's saving them. But one of the beautiful byproducts of this is that the people that are entering into the community, they feel like they belong. Their needs are taken care of. They feel love. They have joy. When I think of this passage in Acts 2, I think, of course, the church was spreading. Their love of Jesus changed them. It changed their heart, and it produced a community where people felt loved, where people felt like they belonged, and it produced more and more people. So when we live in authentic community and we make people feel like they belong, it gives us an opportunity to show Jesus to them. It's a great reminder of how we should function as a church, but I also believe this is one of the greatest gifts we as Christians 
can give to the communities that we're in outside the church to make them feel like they belong. To make people feel like they belong isn't actually that hard. It just means being intentional. One of the simple ways that I do this is for my kids' musicals, they're both involved in musicals, um, the two oldest ones. I ask the director if I can come during the dress rehearsal, right? And it's great because um, I, I just say, hey, do you mind if I just get like, go all over the place? Am I going to get in the way of the kids? And the director always says, no, that's great because they have to learn to deal with distractions. So I walk around taking pictures and I make sure I get a picture of every single kid in the production. No matter how big their role is or how small it is, I make sure that I get a nice picture of them. And then I go home and I edit the pictures that night and I put them all on a shared photo album and I send it out to the director so she can get it to the parents and to the students. And then within, literally within minutes of that, I see all these little pictures popping up on social media. And you can just tell that the families feel a great sense of belonging in that moment for something simple that I was going to do anyway because selfishly I just want to get good pictures of my kids. Um, but then to take the time and say, okay, I just need to shift gears a little bit and make sure I get pictures of everyone. And it's just a simple way that we can love our communities. And I share that story so that you can kind of get the wheels turning in your head. What are some of the gifts and abilities that God has given you that you naturally like and enjoy that you can share with others in your community to help them belong. It doesn't always have to be hard work. It's just being intentional. And that's exactly what the early church was doing. They were intentional, and they needed to continue to be intentional because they were growing. They needed to do that intentionally because when you grow, it can often complicate things. I look at the early church, and I see all this growth happening, and over a period of time, there starts to be some cracks in the system. If we fast forward a few chapters from Acts chapter 2 and we look at Acts chapter 6, we see the beginning of some of these cracks coming up. And it's interesting to see how the apostles um, deal with it and, and make sure that everybody still feels loved and belonged. So Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1, says this, In those days when a number of the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained that the Hebraic Jews um, complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, "It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from you among you who you know to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom." We will turn this responsibility over to them and give our attention to prayer and the ministry of God's word. So as we see in Acts chapter 6, we're told that the number of Christ followers keeps on growing. But then the Hellenistic Jews among them were complaining about the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily food distribution. Now, we don't see any signs of hatred or um, animosity towards these group, groups, but just out of growth in the community, it seems like a problem arose. A certain group felt like they no longer belonged. They were being overlooked. And when the apostles got word with this, they came up with a solution. And they knew that they were overloaded. They, they knew that it was important that they... 
um, continued on to be devoted to prayer and the teaching of God's word. But they also knew that it was important to make sure that everyone in their community felt as if they belonged. So they delegated some of their responsibilities to someone else. I think that's really important for us because it's a lesson that we can learn when it comes to love in our community. The first is this, the apostles realized that they needed to make a change. That in order to make sure that everyone felt loved and cared for, a change had to be done. Sometimes in our communities, we need to be that agent of change. We need to make sure that everyone who is a part of the community feels loved and feels like they belong so that we can continue to minister in that community. The next one I think is really important as well is we don't always have to be the one who executes every part of the plan. Oftentimes we see needs arise and out of a desire to want to make sure that it doesn't fall through the cracks, we just add one more thing to our plate. But the truth is, sometimes you are called to add that one more thing to your plate. But many other times, you're already tapped out in so many ways. We're all stretched in a bunch of different ways. We only have so much time and energy and resources to give to our communities perfectly, or personally. So sometimes the needs are bigger than the resources we have as individuals, but we can make sure that we make that need known and that we lean on other members in our community to make sure that those needs are being taken care of. That's one of the great things about a church is we're able to minister to a bunch of different people with a bunch of different needs greater as a community together than we would be as individuals. And then today, that's something that we're taking a step further with our great day of giving. Organizations that we're supporting during this great day of giving, they're already doing ministry in communities that people in our church have connections to. From Rochester to Buffalo to right here in Batavia, there are needs too big for us as individuals, but we have the privilege of teaming up with some great organizations today. Five of those forums who I've already referenced, the 25 neediest children in Flower City Work Camp, they all have a specific thing that they do that we just don't have the time, resources, and energy to do as individuals. But we can partner with what they are doing in their communities today, what God has called them to do. So as a reminder, we have the boxes in the back for the great day of giving if you want to support that way. Or as the Pastor John mentioned, you can give online by making sure that you give under the great day of giving as well. You just go to our app and look for the keyword there. But that's one of the great joys we have as a community is to be able to show our love to others that are involved in different communities that run adjacent to what we're a part of to make sure that they're blessing um, the community as a whole. So let's pray for those ministries, and then I'm going to call the um, praise team out. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the community here at Northgate. We thank you for the opportunity that we have this day to bless other ministries, to show your love to our community by giving generously so that others in our community may feel loved and feel like they belong and ultimately that they would know you and have their needs taken care of. 
God, we pray that in our own lives, we would apply what we learned from your word today so that we can better impact our communities and show them your love each and every day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, praise team. That was wonderful. This week, as we head into Thanksgiving, I want to challenge you to find ways to be thankful for the community that God has placed you in and to become more invested in them. In fact, that's our takeaway this week. Ask God to give you wisdom where you can become more invested in your community so that those in your community will see Jesus. God bless you this week and have a wonderful Thanksgiving. 